it sounds weird, but I honestly attempt to like smize. Hi everyone, welcome to Black And, a candid conversation about racism, white people, and ways to move forward. I'm April. And I'm Jonathan. We're brother and sister looking to discuss how race informs important issues, current events, and what white people looking to make a difference can do. On today's episode, April and I thought we would deal with the elephant in the room, which is COVID-19, also known as the novel coronavirus. Um, It is the the deadly pandemic that has been sweeping the nation. And if you, uh, unless you've been living under a rock, you know what we're talking about. And so we figured we would dedicate a um, a full episode to just discussing our experiences um, with how we're doing so far in terms of this sort of... uh, new environment we're finding ourselves in. So, April, do you think that uh, sounds like a good idea? Sounds good to me. All right. So, what, um, how's it going? What do you tell, just, you know, have you been? It's been a while since we've talked because we've both been busy. We have, we are two folks that are fortunate enough to continue our jobs um, and we can work remotely. So, April, what have you, how have things been going for you? So, I mean, pretty good, I have to say. Um, I am continuing to work from home, so my new normal is uh, weird, but okay. Um, I, before all this craziness, I didn't have a very long commute to work, but uh, now I, you know, get up in the morning walk the dog, and then go back to my room. Um, So I've been working out of my room. I have a desk set up there. Um, And so I, you know, daily conference calls, Zoom meetings, regular phone calls um, throughout the day and just sort of making it work. Um, I, you know, I live with our sister. And so it's weird having another person in your office kind of basically right. um but we are yeah we have our new normal now where you know we have almost a little code where she knocks and I can let her know if I'm on a call or not um and if not she can come in and if I am on a call you know wait give me a minute or text me um so we found different ways of communicating um and you know we just we're, we're making it work it's weird but it's yeah. oddly working yeah what yeah, about you? I mean, and well, so, and I want to take this opportunity also to just do a quick aside and give you the time and space to give everyone an update on Malcolm James because you mentioned oh you walk your dog every morning. Okay. Let's talk about her, please. If anyone, if you guys are following us on Instagram at Black Am Podcast, we every so often post photos of April's new puppy, uh, which is the cutest thing ever so april how old is mac now she's six months now i can't oh believe goodness. it i know she's six oh months old gosh. and she's doing really well this is really weird for her because i'm home the and whole I'm day home. um but i'm treating her as if i were at work so she does mm-hmm. spend she spends a lot of time in her crate during the day um Which yeah is like her place though right? yeah oh she she's fine her. yeah um i don't hear a peep throughout the day out of her um she's just basically sleeping the entire time Um, But yeah, she, you know, she's huge and she is, 
very energetic. So she gets two long walks a day. Um, and it's weird for her because she's used to us approaching other people and their dogs when we see them on the street on our walks. Okay. But now, you know, when I see a person who doesn't look like they're going to cross the street when we're walking, I either do or walk in the middle of the street or just straight up turn around. So she gets yeah. a little weirded out and I'm actually wondering how this might affect her in the long run. Um, but it's it's been okay so far. I think she just misses, you know, the dog park and the random dogs on the street that she got to meet before this. But she she'll be all right. Mind you, she was when I first met her was when we were picking her up and we did a segment on the podcast about having to have a contingency plan. Some of our listeners might remember having a contingency plan about picking your dog up because we noticed as we were driving out to pick her up that we were in sort of bumfuck Pennsylvania and Trump territory. Mm -hmm. And it was just very sort of scary, but it turned out okay. Hope, uh, you know, uh, we were glad to report. And now this, it's hard to believe that it's six months later. Yeah. Um, and she, or, you know, I guess four months later, um, and here she is being <laughs> a quarantine dog. So it's so funny to hear these stories of folks that are in quote unquote quarantine. The dog, we're, we're driving our dogs crazy, I think, because mm -hmm. we're, you know, Gracie, like, a, as we suggested earlier, is getting multiple walks per day. I have friends that are helping me walk her, but, um, you know, I'll get into my situation a little bit later, but, um, you know. I'm working from home as well, and she just wants me to go back to work. You can tell she's, you know, lots of heavy sighing during the day, and like, you know, um, I am sort of serving as her. Uh, I consider myself her thumbs because I open doors for her. Um, I, I allow her to be more like a human, so I open the patio door for her so she can go out and lay in the sun. But it's funny. I cannot wait for um, listeners. Our, you know, our two dogs have not. April and our uh, April and my dogs have not met each other yet so i cannot wait for the day where they actually meet they're gonna be best um, friends so what about you john um you said you're able to work from home but what does your new normal look like yeah so i am um my role is i'm chief of staff to the head of equity diversity and inclusion for uh ucla and so a lot of our work is putting out fires and responding to concerns and setting policy and sort of leading the university in all of its diversity and inclusion efforts. And so a lot of that can be done online and over, um, you know, electronically, but a lot of it is meetings. And so like you mentioned, these Zoom calls, like I had the other day, I had six Zoom calls. Um, and it's just meeting after meeting after meeting. And we're trying to really, as much as we can, continue on our um, doing our work um, remotely, one, to show to, you know, sort of show the university that we're agile and that we can still do this important work. Um, and two, because we have new concerns now that come from coronavirus. And so we'll get into some of that a little bit later, I think, April. But um, it's been interesting. I've had friends helping me out. You know, we've... Uh, we've mentioned this in other episodes. I think the one, the episode when we interviewed mom, um, we talked about my experience um, as a cancer survivor. So when I was um, in my last semester in college, um, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer. Uh, and I had to do six months of chemotherapy um, during my last semester of college and through the summer between college and law school. Um, 
And so I'm in remission. I have been since 2008, and that's great. But because of that, I am at high risk for things like COVID-19. Um, I have respiratory. Um, I'm high risk for respiratory infection uh, because of well, it's just a side effect of one of the chemotherapy drugs. Um, and I have a bit of a compromised immune system still because of just everything with being pumped full of poison, which is what chemotherapy basically is. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I was quarantined pretty strictly per my doctor's orders about a week and a half or two weeks before the rest of the state of California was, mm-hmm. um, and California was pretty early. So I'm going on day, oh, it's gotta be close to day 50 or so by now. Um, okay. we're recording this on Sunday, April 19th. And so, um, yeah, we've been, I've been doing the thing, the same thing you have, April calls all day, doing, it's trying to do as much work as you can, um, but then I have a slightly stricter predicament than you are, I can't really go outside as much um, because of my health history, and so I've been getting people to help me walk my dog as well, she of course has to go out at least twice a day, um, but when I do go out, I, I use a mask or a, um, I've been using a, a scarf or a um, bandana. Um, and so we're trying to really, um, continue on like normal. I've been doing a bunch of, you know, like push-ups and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to do little home workouts and things. Have you been trying to, have you been staying, trying to stay active at all? Are you doing workouts or anything? Yeah. You're a pretty active person usually despite your sloth characteristics. Wow. Okay. Um, that actually just like (laughs) low-key triggered me because I remember that I had to do insanity tomorrow morning. Um, so yeah, me and Jubilee, me and Jubilee are doing the insanity workouts with Shanti at 545 every morning. Um, and it's just like these intense, like insane cardio and strength workouts that you can do in your home without any equipment or anything, just a big open space. Um, and we're jumping around, sweating, wheezing, like to the point it of like truly, suffocation every morning it, because it is um, truly one of the hardest physical things I've ever done. Oh I'm not yeah. Doing it this time around, but we did yeah. it before April and it is just, it's nuts. And I mean, you feel great afterwards sort of, but it's just, it's like solely to keep my like mental health in check and to not, you know, gain a bunch of weight while I'm stuck right. at home and can't run outside and, have yeah. a big bag of Cheetos next to my bed to comfort me. Like, cool. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think we should sort of talk about the sort of, you know, I, I've noticed it a couple times as we've been as we've been sort of going over what our situations are. There's there are racial sort of implications to what has been happening here in our personal life, and I was just thinking about. Um, in all honesty, I was just thinking about what food I was going to order for dinner tonight. Wow. Um, as we met, as you mentioned, Cheetos. <laughs> cool. Um, so sloth me big, or? Because, right, because I'm a big person, that's fine. Um, and I wanted to note to our our listeners that I've been ordering a lot of takeout food. Um, and I've been really trying to focus on restaurants out here in L.A. that are... Um, minority-owned and uh, particularly Asian-owned, particularly Chinese-owned, if possible. Um, a lot of these uh, 
restaurants I've been reading are suffering because not only do they not are they not able to see people now because we're all sort of on lockdown um, and they can only do takeout delivery, but so many people have these sort of implicit or explicit um, biases against Asian people, especially um, during this pandemic, which as of right now, we're under the understanding that it originated in, in Wuhan, China. And so um, that's just something to note um, that an easy thing that we can all do to the extent that we're ordering delicious food, um, pay attention to who uh, who owns the business and who's being affected by it. The restaurant industry is hurting really bad right now. And if we want these um, places that we love to exist when this is all over, we need to remember to support them now. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly that's just a slight little uh, just a little uh tidbit i wanted to mention i think have you been ordering a lot of food april uh, well or cooking more we actually jubilee has been cooking more i don't cook right, much okay so it's our our listeners should know our sister jubilee is uh, so she's the middle sister um the middle of th- the three of us she's a trained chef um and is with a specialty in baking and pastries yeah she's a trained pastry chef who just happens to be really awesome at cooking other things as well right but but she had to take classes on yeah i think she took classes on everything but is also just good at cooking generally and the stuff she posts online these photos are really actually really annoying to yeah. see because they look so good and I get so jealous um but I sort of live vicariously through um through you guys she made like donuts the other day and like it was just um April's birthday on the 15th of April happy birthday April Thanks. um and I saw the pictures from the little party that she threw you like oh yeah she made like these mini cakes um funfetti cakes with icing and like they were like three layers each of them and well they're gone now um right but they were past yeah they were was it was ago, so right? good <laughs> but yeah we've i mean we have sort of put, put the kibosh though on her baking because it's i mean it's just the two of us in the house it's and like much. if she makes yeah. a dozen cookies i have to eat them right because i don't have as, a choice like I mean, as I, an american right i feel like So, like, she hasn't been baking as much, but she's been cooking, um, and it's really just from a financial standpoint, like, we are both, you know, are experiencing some pretty serious negative effects financially from COVID-19, so we haven't been ordering, we've been, she's been trying to cook more, um, and, but the idea, though, is that if we do order, um, it's... Yeah, it's considering those things. Who is going to be in the restaurant business? Who is most severely impacted by COVID-19, um, particularly on a racial standpoint? Um, and how c- how could we support them more? And, you know, the another thing to mention is that the restaurants who care about this really are making it very obvious how they're treating their employees as well. So I, you know, I'd even worth i think it's even even worth noting like i wouldn't i try to not support restaurants and and companies that are not giving their employees time off right now paid leave Mm -hmm. um who are not providing health care for their employees who are not making sure that they are abiding by all the safety standards for their own safety because that just translates to our own safety as well and it's a good way to use your money as 
an ally and use your money as like, look, if you're not taking care, if you're demanding that your people come in and come to work, Amazon, um, and are not giving them healthcare unless they meet a certain number of hours or a certain number of whatever, or you're the way you're displaying, the way you're communicating the benefits that these people are getting is dishonest and meant to be sort of, um, you know, a talking point, um, you're not going to get my business, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to do in a pandemic because I need paper towels like tomorrow, right. you know? And, um, but, uh, I was telling people earlier, April, people made fun of us growing up as kids when mom used to always like take napkins from like McDonald's uh, and Taco Bell. And like, we always had that yeah. napkins at our house. In the car too. Yep. Da, 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 da. Jokes on you. Yeah. Because now I have. Because like, now I have that. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. yeah. You got the the yeah the packet drawer with like salt and pepper, ketchup, and ketchup, packets, and napkins, and, napkins and, and yeah, soy sauce packets and chopsticks. Yeah. And all the takeout. Yeah. Yep. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's just also something to keep in mind. I would think throughout this um, this issue, April. So you know, one of the things that I was thinking about it. I was debating either writing about it or talking about it on the podcast um, is so California is now, I don't know how Philadelphia is dealing with this, but Los Angeles County is now under a mandatory. If you go outside, you have to have your face covered. Mm. Um, So police will tell you to cover your face. We haven't talked about this, and I want to see if you um, think what, if you got thought the same thing I did. Can you think of racial, the sort of negative racial implications of that? What comes to your mind? Because it, something very obvious comes to mind. And covering my if, face? Yeah. If the law is you have to have your face covered when you're out, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it was uh, two days ago, I think, I saw um, on the news in Philly that this man was uh, barred from entering a Walmart because he had a face mask on when it was mandated that to get in the Walmart, you have to have your face covered. And so he was dragged out of Walmart for having his face covered. And in the photos, you see all the people around him with their faces covered because you had to have your face covered to get in the Walmart. Right. And it's like, what, what, yeah. So was this person black? Yeah, uh, I should have mentioned that. Yes. So, well, no, and it makes sense. And that's weird that I could, of course, guess that. So it's this weird um, tension that we're seeing. It's not weird at all. It's a tension between fears based in white supremacy and fears based in health concerns. Um, So you have the fear based on health concerns. So you get the government mandate that everyone has to cover their face. And then you have the individual fear based on white supremacy, which is that when black people have their faces covered or brown people have their face, have our faces covered, it's menacing and Mm -hmm. scary. That's what a robber looks like after all, you know? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, when I first walked out in LA with, I had a, like a shawl scarf sort of thing wrapped around my face. I felt going outside that I was going to make someone uncomfortable because I already make people uncomfortable just being a large black man walking down the street. 
Um, I can't imagine being outside at nighttime, especially with my face covered in the shadows of a street that I'm walking down. It just, um, I've been trained not to present myself to the world like that in order to protect white people from being afraid. Um, and in order to protect myself from the police, um, I've read stories. I remember reading stories even in law school about what constitutes reasonable suspicion for a police officer to search you, stop and search you. So to be clear for our listeners, police can always stop you and pat you down if they believe you have a weapon on you. So that's stop and frisk when you hear that. The stop and frisk policy that was really big in New York Um that they just have to have reasonable suspicion that you have a gun or are doing something illegal. So that's a very low standard. Um, there are other things that constitute reasonable suspicion um, in certain instances. So fleeing from a place, a high crime area, um, which you can totally see how this would have negative implications. So young people freeing, fleeing from a police uh the corner as a police officer pulls up is considered reasonable suspicion for the officer to search them. Um, that's obviously messed up because people are afraid of police and run from them often without having done anything. Um, but also I think having your face covered, I'm, I think can constitute reasonable suspicion as well for a police officer to say you, the only reason you'd have your face covered here is because you're committing a crime. Now, of course that changes when everyone has their face covered, but, it doesn't in practice when the police still will just, like you said, or, or people that work at big organizations like Walmart will still just implement their policy not unevenly, right. uh, implement it unevenly and implement it in a way that is um, prejudiced and discriminatory toward people. Um, so that's my very long-winded like little mini law school class. Um, but that was my first thing walking out like, oh, shit, cops are going to see me with my face covered walking around at night. That's not great for me. That does right. not that draws cops toward me. And remember, when often when black people have to encounter cops, it's not a reassuring thing for us. It is scary for us. That's the only time I'm ever afraid for my life ever, actually, as a large man, um, which is a privilege of mine, quote unquote. The only time I'm ever afraid is when I'm around police. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just something that I've had to deal with. And it's sort of, yeah, it's just scary to to see. And um, yeah, it's been you know, weird. I mentioned, yeah. Well, it's been weird. Like my route when I walk back, um, we try to go to not uh, crowded places. So we end up walking under the um, under the elevated train in South Philly Um and there's, you know, cops always hanging out over there for who knows why. Um, but since having my face covered, and I usually wear like a bandana or a scarf. Um, so having, wa walking anytime out or walking particularly in this time outside is one. Having my face covered and having this, you know, German Shepherd dog right. who is very... Uh, has a very commanding look and bark. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. so it's made me even more aware of my presence and the police's presence when we're on our walks, um, you know, such that when I do encounter police and my face is covered, it sounds weird, but I honestly attempt to like smize mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and <laughs> and wave. Tyra. Um, no, seriously. Um, because like my natural face is not. I don't often have a very pleasant look on. Um, it's just, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm having my headphones in. I'm doing my thing. listening to music probably really loudly or a podcast. Um, and I'm just walking to get where I'm going. I don't, right. yeah, you know, you just sort of mind your business. Um, but you know, now I take note of police officers and I even wave, um, and yeah, I do a big exaggerated nod. Right. Exactly. Like I'm acknowledging you. I see you mm-hmm. see me just walking my dog, not you know, trying, this sounds so stupid, but trying to look innocent, whatever that means, you know, like you're not doing something, but even though my face is covered, um, it's just so so weird. It's wild because again, back to the law school classroom, looking like you're not trying to break a law is also reasonable suspicion Mm -hmm. in some places that's been held up as a cop has said, Oh, he looked like he was behaving weirdly, Stopping too long at the stoplight, stopping too, you know, for Mm -hmm. a full three second at the stop sign. It's like, oh, you're not breaking the law technically, but you're following the law in such a way that no one else follows it because you're following it so strictly. That's suspicious to police, too. So it's it's lose, lose. We can't win. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're doing the right thing, but it's just one of those things that, like, I don't think people thought about that. Obviously, Um, this is another example of the way that, you know, whiteness is viewed as the default. This is not a thing white people think about. And so whether and to what extent black and brown people will be afraid or uncomfortable to cover their faces while they're out um, is not something I would imagine that is considered when the rule was being made, mm-hmm. um, which is just, you know, that's par for the course, right? Right. Um, but I think, you know, should we talk about, as we're seeing as we're getting more and more data about COVID-19 and it's in the rates of, um, of infection and death. And I, I think it's worth saying also, we, as an organization, this podcast, mm-hmm. April, straight up are clearly saying everyone needs to be social distancing, abiding by their, um, even I'll say this, even if you're one of the people that lives in Florida, that just as of tonight, I think they're reopening a lot of the beaches in Florida. <laughs> please, please continue to do social distancing for as long as the CDC tells us that we should do it. That means stay in your house. That means if you have to go outside, only be uh, six feet or more from other humans. Um, that's to protect you and to stop the spread of the virus generally to protect people like me with compromised immune systems. Mm-hmm. So I think we can April, right? Like of course. straight up just co-sign that without even yeah. uh, knowing where anyone lives. Yep. Easy enough. Yeah. So all that said, I think we should talk about some of the, impl- the, the outcomes that we're seeing here as sure. we're seeing more and more. So I saw the other day that 70% of the COVID-19 deaths in Louisiana are black people um it's it's affecting black and brown communities in a and as almost everything does in a disproportionately negative way and i say that hyperbolically almost everything but it's true we had Mm -hmm. if people remember when we had reggie shuford on a couple of episodes ago he's the executive director from the aclu um for pennsylvania and he's sort of 
uh, it's sort of eerie to think back on it now, but he said, you know, if America catches a cold, black people get the flu. Mm-hmm. Um, the black community gets the flu. And that's, he couldn't have been more, you know, sort of prescient in, in saying that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what, Louisiana's max 40%? Black max. I think it. I think that's right. I think it is like. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Those numbers are huge. And there's so many reasons why that could be the case that black and brown people are dying at higher rates. I mean, where do we, April? Where do we even start with this? I mean, um, yeah, uh, pre-existing conditions as one. Yeah. So, like, I was just going to say, like, we talked about this on other pods, like other episodes. You know, the like, for example, the the maternal mortality rate for black women is so much higher mm-hmm. than for anyone else. So like black women die at higher rates when they're having babies. And there's so many complicated reasons for that. And this is another example of a, of a medical condition that is just straight up being disproportionately more deadly mm-hmm. to black and brown people. So pre-existing conditions, like, what do you mean by that? April? Uh, high blood pressure, uh, you know, hypertension, heart disease, um, anything that would be, you know, extremely exacerbated by any sort of respiratory respiratory disease. So, I mean, if you have a, if your heart is weak and you can't breathe, yes, or asthma, which... Asthma is a huge thing in the black community and it's partially because of environmental racism. I would say climate change, which which affects black people negatively more. Um, There's, right, there's dump sites in certain areas of certain cities that have just been left to decay because it's just black and brown people living there. So who cares? You know, that's pretty much, that's sort of the sense I get um, with these, a lot of these animal plants, like where where animal, Mm -hmm. what food is processed, the food that we eat, um, and and chemical factories too, or these, you know, in black communities where asthma and, and lung and respiratory rates are through the roof already so we're coming into it with the respiratory problems already right. and any underlying medical condition makes people more at risk so cancer heart disease like you said it yeah i just and then on top of that poverty so the poverty rates are obviously much higher in the black community so your access to health care or health care information um having health insurance right. Uh, it's just if you don't have these things or access to these things or the ability to um, to even know about them or who to reach out to, you're, it's going to affect right. you uh, and more that's severely. Not to say that, right. And that's not to say that, like, you know, that, you know, there are folks within the black community. It's from my experience and from, you know, from everyone I talk to. When there's information that is available, it's there, you know? But a lot of of times, information is never provided to black and brown communities. And so when the information is there, it's taken and and it's acted upon. But it's also different because you can't just necessarily act on information when you don't have a solid financial and healthcare infrastructure in place. And so, you know, Black and brown communities can't a lot of the time just say, oh, yeah, well, I'll just go check with my doctor on this because that's $100 copay sometimes. Right. Or, uh, and you if know. you do contract um, COVID-19 and you do go to the hospital for it and you don't have health insurance, what are you supposed to do? Pay the, what, $20,000 it is for uh, to get treatment, uh, depending on how long you're in the hospital? Like, I wouldn't go. 
And I'm not, right. I don't condone that. Um, but that's, right. that's the reality of the situation. If I didn't have healthcare and I knew I was going to get hit with a, you know, just ridiculous bill afterward, who wants that? Who wants to bring that upon themselves? You'll probably just try to ride it out. Right. Right. Because you're like, I figure, you know, it's a 1% mortality rate. So right. I my I'll be fine. Good, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, there's also another added layer to this, which is, and now I need to preface this by saying, you know, the way that we look back at 9-11 and remember police and firemen as first responders and heroes, that is how we will look back at COVID-19 and remember medical professionals mm-hmm. and people who are keeping hospitals open. So from everyone, from the the executive and administrative staff to the janitorial staff to the maintenance folks to doctors to surgeons, um, they are the heroes of this tragedy and this sort of... Um, this saga that we're going through right now. That said, we know it's proven that doctors and nurses have implicit bias against black and brown people because of what they were taught in school, because of who they are as people, because we all have implicit bias. Um, Study after study finds that doctors and people, members of the medical community don't take black patients recitation of our own pain and assessment of our own pain as seriously as they would a white patient. So when a black woman comes into a doctor and says, I'm at a nine out of 10 right now, they're not treated the same way as a white woman that comes in and says, I'm at a nine out of 10 right now in Mm -hmm. terms of pain response, pain management, treatment, assessment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are literal studies that show that med students are a, a non-insignificant number of med students are under the misimpression that black people have a higher pain tolerance than white people, that black people's skin is thicker and tougher than white people's. That's a real thing that people think um, that, of course, is not true because there's nothing different about black people genetically other than the melanin in our skin. Mm-hmm. Um we're all human beings, as people love to say. We're all members one of the race, human race. The human race. Right. I don't see like, color. Uh, right. I don't see color. We're all members of the human race. No. Um, and so that's a real thing that happens in the medical community. And so amidst this tragedy and this out, this crisis, even if you do get over the financial and the informational um, obstacles of getting health care, um, and you don't live in a sort of medical desert where there is no uh, doctor for you to go to, no emerging, no urgent care for you to go to. Once you get there, you run the risk that you're not taken seriously. Right. When you say, I can't fucking breathe, you know? Right. Sure you can. You're just exactly Yeah, it's you're, fine. You're, just know, calm down. Right, exactly. You're being hysterical, right. Um, so that's another thing. We're happy to provide these studies in the show notes on this for this episode. Um, this is not something that we're making up. It's not a conspiracy theory. This is a, you know, a Harvard study that was done that like, yes, members of the medical community to a non-insignificant degree think these things about black and brown people still. And these are med students who will grow up and be doctors. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah. And, and, you know, there's a long, there's, there's also a, a, a history of, and I know I'm rambling on here, but this is, I am happy we're doing this episode because I wanted to get this off yeah. my chest. There's a long history of distrust within the black community, specifically in this country, 
based on things that people would call conspiracy theories. So, you know, there's this dumb theory that people think there's some connection between 5G cell towers and and people getting COVID-19. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, probably ridiculous, probably ridiculous. Um, but, you know, the notion that there was some underlying something else here at play is not, it's not as outlandish sounding to black people as it is to folks who might not have seen their race be um, researched and experimented on. Right. So I'm thinking back to like Tuskegee. April, I was just going like, to say like, yeah, it would never happen that, you know, syphilis drugs would be tested on a group of black people without their knowledge and without telling anyone about it. That would never happen. Except it totally Except it did, did it happen. Military, right. Um, testing on black members of the military, to, uh, basically experimenting with syphilis, the disease, and telling them that it was a sh- the shot that they were receiving was for a cold. So go Google this. Go Google the Tuskegee experiment if you haven't heard about it. Um, yeah, they were told they were receiving like, like free, free health care, basically, from the federal government. Um, right. And that just wasn't the case. Right. So if you think that the government could not have had anything to do with crack getting into this country from our southern border back in the 70s and 80s, you'd be wrong about that. Right. Because the government did have a hand in that um, right before the war on drugs was started. So black people come at this with a little bit more skepticism because a lot more skepticism because that outlandish stuff that you hear about in you know, 1984, the the book, or in other, you know, in Handmaid's Tale, or in, you know, things that are sort of dystopian and crazy and that are put up as fantasy actually have happened to us in this country. Um, so... And I think it also makes, you know, the Black community feel that, oh, it's just something else that'll pass. It's just something else that right, I, I right. can survive because, right. you know, as a race, we've been through something this horrible before um so you know this too shall pass type of thing when in the meantime you know you're dying at a higher rate but as a whole i think it's totally logical for the black community to feel like okay just another thing that i have to get through um just another thing that you know will will pass by and that you know yeah. yeah that we'll we'll look back on and say you know i you know we survived that too so, yeah, there's just a lot of different ways that this is, that whenever a large thing is happening in a, that's affecting people in a bad way, um, of course it disproportionately affects black and brown people. I think back to April, I think back to Katrina. Um, yeah. And I was just, which is, is a natural disa- occurring disaster, not a, 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 with a medical disaster. I don't know how you distinguish them, but... Um, how to articulate that, but yeah, I mean, I, I was looking back at old footage, and it's just black people on their roofs because their water was up to their roofs, holding signs that say "Help us" yeah. as planes fly overhead. Like right. that would never, ever, ever happen in a white community. Can you imagine? No, I can't. For days and days and days, I literally cannot waiting, imagine. Weeks waiting for the government to come. People starving to death. 
Um, and so we've seen, you know, it was such a huge, it was such a huge drama when Kanye West said on live TV that George, George Bush, Bush doesn't like black people, doesn't, doesn't care about he, black he people. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Poor and Mike Myers. On, I think with Mike Myers. And it yeah. was like the craziest thing that any celebrity had ever said about a politician. But now it's like, oh, well, obviously, obviously. Trump doesn't care about black people. Um, he's... George Bush didn't either. Kanye was right, um, despite what you think about Kanye now. Um, but we take it, it is par for the course for us now to know that our president Trump does not care about black people at all. Like he doesn't. That's just not a. He doesn't care about people at all. Right. So at the beginning of this, he remember the what was it the Quint, uh, princess queen princess princess Anne. Huh? Cruise ship. The oh, cruise ship. Yeah, Crown yeah, yeah, princess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crown princess. Something. You guys will correct us, I'm sure. Um, the cruise ship that had, I think, like 20 cases on it. It was back when we had 13 cases in the country. And Trump didn't want to let this cruise ship dock because then that would add 20 cases to our overall count nationwide. He said it. He said, I don't want to double, well, almost double, double our numbers just by, you know, by one boat, you know? Right. He doesn't care. He just cares about what this looks like, right? right. So now they're, to be clear, over 30,000 people have died from this already in this country now. Um, that it, it just, he doesn't have any perspective. He doesn't have any regard. And so the notion that he would all of a sudden find it and also apply it to his racism toward black people is just doesn't seem logical at all. He's not going to institute new guidelines to help black and brown people seeing that this hurts us, that this disease hurts us more. Why would he ever do that? Right. You know? Right. Do you have the uh, numbers for LA for the uh, racial um, identity of, COVID-19 deaths? So I don't have the numbers for LA, but I was just reading an article in the LA Times that talked about California as a state. So remember, California is 20% of the U.S. population. So it's one-fifth of the U.S. population. Um, So black people are 6% of California's population, but 12% of coronavirus deaths in California. Wow. Um, So... It, yeah, in Philadelphia, it just, it's fifty, almost fifty-three percent of COVID deaths are African American people, um, but uh, we make up only about forty-four percent of the population. Wow. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's something. So white people make up. I'm looking at some stats here. White people make up uh, forty about forty five percent of the Philadelphia population, um, and twenty five percent of COVID deaths. Wow. So the rest is black and brown people or unknown. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I saw footage the other day of in New York City, which has sort of been the epicenter of this drone footage of unmarked graves they're using they're looking for places to bury bodies that they're just in boxes that they don't know who they are because they're they didn't have family and they didn't have id and they just died and were found and you know and think of all the people who will die of this who aren't going to ever be tested right Um, and and i was going to say think of the people who 
died early on before we mm-hmm. even knew mm-hmm. that this is what was happening. Yeah. Literally, it's, before there was a test. Right. It's, yeah, it's pretty... It's bleak. Yeah, it is. It's fucking bleak. The only way we will continue to keep... So California's numbers, in t- I mean, a lot of people have died, and it's disproportionately black and brown, of course, because that goes without saying in this country. It's crazy that that's the preface, but it is. But California's actually been doing better than most states because we started so early. We started locking down so early yeah. uh, because our government is listens to scientists and listens to doctors. And so um, we are the second largest economy in the country after the federal economy, after the federal, you know. Um, so it is we sort of have sway as a state. But like other states where this is, I mean, like we talked to our mom who lives in North Carolina and people just don't, they're just not taking this seriously at all and Mm-mm. states where you know 50, i think 54 percent of all black people in the country live in the south southern states um there are of course all red states for the most part of course that's where slavery was for the most part um, uh or at least was uh more out in the open um slaves were everywhere i should correct myself but of course it's no coincidence that down the down south southern states are the least likely to be following the doctors and medicine and like i mentioned earlier florida just is reopening beaches like that doesn't it just it's hard to be positive when you see that kind of stuff going on and knowing that our that everyone is going to die more people are going to die from this but disproportionately it's going to affect people that look like you and me yeah it's fucking bleak can we end on something positive like is there anything positive oh you know what i'll end on something positive april okay I've been doing push-ups like a madman, like a like wow, really. Wow, that's good. Yeah, so I did a hundred push-ups yesterday. Oh my god. Um, yeah, so like I'm getting into like upper body shape. I'm still eating like a cow. Well, I was eating. gonna say um, like I ate three pieces of pizza instead of my normal four the other so day. So that's not. I mean, so you're on a diet basically. So yeah, I, I mean that's positive. Yeah, that's positive. No, I think if we, I think this is showing, this COVID-19 epidemic, I think is show, pandemic, is showing us, it isn't causing inequality, it's showing us where all the weak spots are. It's showing us how fucked up our healthcare system is and how it disproportionately affects black and brown people. It's showing us how poverty um, is a comorbidity you know and Mm -hmm. it is a it is a it's a pre-existing condition poverty is predictable uh and so we shouldn't be surprised by this the when the average black household has seventeen hundred dollars of wealth and the average white household has seventeen thousand dollars of wealth um that it shouldn't surprise us that health outcomes then will be disparate as well right um you just have to care you just have to care exactly um and so yeah this is one of those things where i hope i think a lot will change about how we do our work about how we interact with people are we gonna go back to shaking hands after this are Mm -hmm. we gonna go back to big stadiums full of people you know who knows but i hope that the 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 clarity with which we're seeing these disproportionate impacts on black and brown communities needs to be remembered and it needs to be highlighted and it needs to be when we're setting policy, hopefully in a democratic um, 
administration in the next few years, um, and even local policy, especially local policy, I hope that we will think back to say, okay, like, what do we need to change so that when something else happens, the majority, you know, the disproportionate number of people that are being harmed by it isn't determined by what race they are and how much money they have. But like, maybe we don't want to... It's not Darwinism. It's not, you know, just, you know, it's... Right. purposeful this isn't an accident maybe we don't even want to go here but this is just like the way my mind works but like do you honestly think there will be a change because i don't i mean i think a lot depends on who our next leaders are but i don't you could ask me that about racism generally you know yeah and why are we doing this podcast because do i think there's going to be a change uh, i hope so but it's gonna be really hard right. we all have to be using we're using our free time we both have jobs we're using our free time to do a podcast because we want to help and we think it's a good way to do it i have to govern myself with the understanding that this can change hope is the only thing that can get us through something like this and yeah you know i mean i can't... used to always say that like courage will get us through and Courage can't exist without fear. So it's okay for us to be scared, but we need to just do what we think is the best anyway. And that's what courage is. And so I think that's why we have to keep doing this. Yeah. It's weird because like, and we'll just talk about my mental health right now because why not? Um, Yeah, let's do it. Like, I don't, I haven't been feeling like I wanted to give up anytime soon, but I also haven't been feeling hopeful like I don't, yeah. I don't want to stop doing, for example, doing this podcast anytime soon. Um, but I just am not. I don't know. I'm just not. It's hard to be hopeful. I'm not hopeful that things are gonna get better for people who look like me. Yeah. And I just like, you know, part of that is a catalyst for making me want to continue to do this and. Right. But also when I really sit and think, you know, what do I think this country is going to look like in 15 years? Much different. Probably not. Honestly, probably not. But can't give up, I guess. I think we, if we look back, it's hard to judge this in the middle of the Trump administration. And it's hard to judge this in the middle of a pandemic, right? Yeah. But I think a lot of progress has been made. Think about how much of a presence Black Lives Matter is. Think about how much of a presence, um, you know, these policies that that were government policies that were not even on the table 10 years ago are now a part of the conversation. I have, I think I probably have a little bit more hope than you within the next 15 years that something will look different. But again, we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's hard to be hopeful. Hope is hard, you know? Yeah. Um, but all I can say is that we have to have courage and we have to be hopeful. And if we don't have that, then we don't really have anything. And I'll just stop doing my push-ups now and just right. resign myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Don't stop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I hope that, um, I hope this was helpful for folks. I, you know, I think it's good that for us to be checking in with each other and, you know, making sure that social distancing doesn't 
you know, physical distancing doesn't need to necessarily be isolation. It can be, um, you can call people, you can FaceTime, you can... Yeah, um, use the technology that you have available to you, you know, right at your disposal as much as you can. We're coming up... Yeah. I'm seeing all sorts of games. People are doing virtual happy hours. Yeah. People are doing, you know, try to stay as connected with people as you can. This is easier for people like me and you, April, because we're introverts by nature, despite what people might think based on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and so this has been less of a change to our everyday because it's like, okay, I'm just trying to stay home anyway. For right. The most part. Um, but it's hard for people who need people to get to be to get life you know yeah. need to be around people to be re-energized such a weird I can't concept imagine that. i like, can't even give like, me chills to even think about right that. i've yeah. got to stick to my <laughs> stomach but yeah i hear you <laughs> right. um but don't forget about those folks and check in with them and to the extent that you you know see people out struggling try to check in with them and try to be be continue to be as you know accessible and uh, kind of a person as you can be despite having to be physically distanced from people right i think the idea of do, do what you can in times like yeah. this do whatever you can and all that you can for this episode yeah i mean i think the action item for this episode is simple look up the cdc guidelines um and abide by them look up what the cdc says to do and not do during this pandemic and do and follow those rules strictly as much as you can um and that'll help it'll help you and it'll help us and it'll help everyone and it'll save lives This episode of Black Anne was produced by us, April and Jonathan Perkins. It was edited by me, and our music is by Fifth Child. You can find more of his work at fifthchildmusic.com. That's number five, fifthchildmusic.com. You can find Black Anne wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Also, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, be mindful, be vigilant, and and keep keep asking asking questions. questions.